Hello, welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisp Drawer. This is season two, I believe episode 11, because I haven't done an episode in a long time. I'm naming this episode One Step Away from a Vegetable, because in very short period of time recently, I was almost one step away from a vegetable because of how busy and how annoyed my life was being. But things have sort of eased off, and I hope it's going to continually ease off so I can put more time into more projects. So what, let's do a quick rundown of things that I can think I'm going to talk about. I made a tiny list here. So the Canadian election, uh, it's coming up soon, so us Canadians, uh, election time. It is important to vote, but I'm like just exhausted of that. Um, Turkey, Syria, Trump, Kurds, what the fuck, and that sort of shit. I like Okay, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, let's see, Blizzard in China, as well as the NBA in China, and other entities like Google in China. Um, you know, private companies can do what they want, but it's not really, like, if they're going to kowtow the world to one entity, it's kind of crappy that it has to be China. And it's really funny how then they play every nation, like, oh, you can't do this because that nation's got its own laws, but then they enforce one single law, like, they try to make, um... Yeah, I'll go into that. Uh, Ace Combat 7 DLC Pack 4, the first mission talk. Um, I'll bring that up because in a few days, and I believe, well, it's it's the 12th, so in 11 uh, days or so, I think on the 23rd of this month, the not this upcoming Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, it's supposed to be, uh, yeah, which is the 23rd, will be the second mission, and then in November, midway through the month, the third mission comes out. Always on Wednesdays, by the way. Interesting. Uh, don't know why. <laughs> like to know that. And a little talk about Astral Chain on the uh, Nintendo Switch, because I decided to start playing it, and I've had a lot of fun. I'm not done the game yet, but good job, Platinum, for making another really fun game. Okay, so, Canadian election coming up. Um, you've got the Green Party, you've got the NDP, you've got the Liberals, you've got the Conservatives, you've got Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada in 24 locations, you have the Libertarian Party of Canada, you've got other groups like Socialism... You've got other socialist groups, communist groups. I think there's like, there's definitely a far right group in there somewhere. Plus, in Quebec, you have the Bloc Quebecois, which I don't know why they're allowed to run on a national election if they're only going to run in certain places, and their whole idea is separation. But you know, this is democracy, so I can't a democratic monarchy actually, because the monarchy is still technically in command, and she gets to sit in England. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm just exhausted of this. I did not watch any of the debates. I've only heard from friends about how the debates were closer to children uh, talk, yelling at each other than they were actual debates. And a friend of mine and I, on Wednesday night, we had dinner, and we were talking about how it's just like, you know, I, I, I use this phrase every once in a while, the difference between a politician and a political scientist. A politician doesn't want to give you the answer. A political scientist wants to give you the full answer. Now, it's not always true, but I. But based on that thinking, like, a scientist or somebody who applies scientific logic and scientific method into what they're researching and what they're thinking really wants to explain why their answer is that way and put all the field and all the facts and all that stuff out there for you. If you're a, um, if you're a politician, obscurity is... <laughs> I, oh, frick, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Um... You know, basically being obscure and not giving a full. Um, there's a there's a legal term or something for that. I can't remember what it is, but and I probably can't pronounce it properly at, at this thought. I'm gonna make fun of myself in this episode. <laughs> oh man, I really am one step away from a vegetable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's basically like being obscure and not answering the question and or answering the question you want to answer. So if somebody says blank, you ch you do like, don't you worry about blank, let me worry about blank is from Futurama. Oh, I should bring that up. I've started getting back into Futurama again. Um, but yeah, I'm a little scatterbrained today because it's been a long time. It's been over, a m it's almost two months since I recorded an episode. The last episode went up on August 17th. And I had planned to make more since, but life just got busy. Oh, and I'll talk about uh, the trip my family and I made to Israel, too. I'll throw that in there just a little bit. Um, by the way, if you haven't been to Israel, please go and go soon. And I say go soon because I don't know what the next 10 years of uh, situation is going to be down there. Is it going to get more peaceful or is it going to get more violent? But I think go now because it's relatively safe to go. Um, back to the Canadian election. So you've got Trudeau and his Liberal Party. Um... I can't really fault the Liberal Party. I don't like Trudeau, but 
that's the problem is, is that he's the figurehead of the party. There are definitely some liberals I would have a glad discussion with and sit down with and have a good talk and have very slight disagreements and be like, no, that's a good, very good person. I'd like them. But Trudeau and his, um, and his ministers and just how they've handled the uh, LNC La- SNC Lovelin scandal and various other things like dumping onto the province's uh, healthcare systems, the veteran, the vets, the military vets now have their healthcare handled by the provinces, and they didn't really tell the provinces they were going to just do that. Instead, it used to come out of the Department of National uh, Defense. Now it's not coming out of that anymore. You know, a, a questionable things. Do I think the conservatives are any better? Well, they're both culture warriors. The problem is, is that Tr- I view Trudeau and um, and Andrew Shear, Justin Trudeau and Andrew Shear, as both culture warriors in a very uh, strict way. And there's ways how Sheer will get pigeonholed into being a culture warrior for the more conservative side, the more religious side of like, oh, taking stance against LGBTs and Qs and then um, transgender issues and, uh, you know, religious issues that the conservatives will be try to be pigeonholed in a certain way. Now, I don't think most of the Canadians are satisfied with any of the either of those two options, which is why the NDP is going around. But I don't think the Canadians are that satisfied with the NDP either. Um there are, there are various problems with the NDP being a, a pseudo-socialist. I mean, it technically is a socialist uh, party. You can't really get full socialism in Canada because it's just not going to work out, and you're never just like you're never going to get true capitalism in Canada. And how our democracy is a like it's it's weird how it's really a monar- democratic monarchy where the monarchy still controls it, but we're constitutional. Uh, more constitutional monarchy. I guess that's the best way to say it. Because democratic monarchy means like sounds like you're electing the queen. You're really not. The queen of England or the um, royals of England are in command of Canada, and the governor general, who is appointed by the prime minister, is supposed to be her represent her or his representative, depending on uh, you know who's next in line. And I'm fairly certain that Charles is not going to get the throne. <laughs> I think. Uh, the queen might bypass him. She has the right to make the decision, but who knows? Who knows? Anyway, going on to that, um, like the three big parties aren't that good. Elizabeth May is just, you know, she's, she tries to be a true believer, but her party doesn't really help her. Like the, um, so there was, there was this thing about her getting photoshopped with a, she had like a Tim Hortons coffee or Tim Hortons drink and her team photoshopped a reusable cup and a metal straw in it. And I would have been like, no, if I was advising, I'd be like, say I made a mistake. We're all human. I'm trying to do better. And every day I make better decisions and say, that's just how our world works. The economy is designed to be throwaway way. And I, sometimes you're caught flat footed and sometimes there's benefits to that. And sometimes there isn't the, the hiding of it seemed more shameful than the fact of what it was. Now, if you're a true environmentalist, like, you know, green party, like environmentalist. Yeah, that is kind of horrifying, but it's not, you're, you know, it's preaching to the converted at that point. You're not really selling yourself that much. Um, People's Party of Canada, which is Maxime Bernier's outfit after him not winning the Conservative Party nomination. I don't really know too much about them. Only The last thing I know historically, and I don't know if this is still up to date or true. So um, if you're listening, do your own research because I have, um, you know, let's just say I'm not fully up to date on him and his party's uh, plan. But the last time I noticed, I was talking about them, they seemed to be a bit like, they were libertarian-leaning, which would have been nice, but then they started being slightly anti-immigrant. I think he was more, like, close borders, but I don't remember what, what if they're like that now or not. And it's kind of disturbing. Like, I, I'm pro-immigration. Bring people to Canada, because some of them are going to come here, learn something, and they're going to, some might stay and be a benefit to our thing. Some might not be. Some might be a slight, might be, uh, you know, try to just sit on the system and make money. And some might be like, oh, this was great what I learned, but this isn't where I want to go. Do it and go home. Just like what's happening with Ethiopia, where a ton of people are returning after major strife in e- Ethiopia. So... Oh, should you vote or not? Yes, you probably should. If you're uninformed, should you vote? Uh, less so. And I, me as a libertarian, uh, in my district where I live, the the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, Tim Owen, is running. And I'm having a very hard urge to even go and vote for him. I just don't think I'm going to in this election. 
Doesn't mean I'm saying you guys who are listening shouldn't vote in the Canadian election if you legally can. If you can't, well, you're not going to vote and you shouldn't vote. Um, but it's just, eh, I don't know. I, I just don't really have a strong opinion on this election. Liberals or conservatives are probably going to win. I'd be shocked. I, like, you know, it's a 50-50 split between them. If the NDP somehow won, it would be like, what the fuck has happened to Canada? Are we really that dissatisfied? Well, in five years, we're going to be even more pissed. So what's going to happen? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so it's kind of like, who cares? Um, but it's scary when you get to that point of, oh, blah, 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 the election. I'm tired of the election. As soon as you start getting tired of something, that's when bad people start trying to manipulate it. So it's kind of odd to take that stance. All right, so that's that's that. Let's uh, let's get off my high horse on the election and just say like you know if you if you vote vote for somebody who vote in your riding vote in your district of somebody who's probably going to represent them. But it kind of sucks because in Canada it really is party first. In the U.S., um, one thing I like about their constitutional republic is is your representative isn't really strictly held to the party line, so they can vote how they want. Versus in Canada, how it's like rare for individuals to like have a party like for the vote to be done by stone individuals and people believing what their district desires and needs more versus what the party desires so yeah compromises and crap and stuff like that but that's how the election's gonna go um I'm probably going to get another episode up next Saturday as my plan is to just keep doing episodes every fucking Saturday from now on but we'll uh, we'll see also no, I won't bring that up. I'll just screw that until I actually have anything confirmed. So, um, let's go on. Let's go on. Um, what the fuck is going on with Turkey? And Trump and Russia and all this stuff and Syria and how ISIS members might now have broken out of prison because Syria launched artillery strikes against a Kurdish-operated prison that the U.S. Special Forces were helping and the U.S. Special Forces in the region are just, like, shocked and feel really betrayed by their government on that and some of them have even stated that they they it's the first time they felt ashamed of their of their military and how how the civilian government has done that and th- this is an interesting point of maybe we shouldn't be there at all um but the kurds at least the kurds that are fighting not the uh not the ones that generally fight against Turkey, but the ones who have been supporting our forces in supporting and helping our forces in Syria. We've actually been supporting and helping them, both Canada and the U.S. and the U.K. and various other nations with our special forces uh, units have been helping them. Um, Those guys, because they they switch between, like, it's the YPK or something like that. Like, there's the Kurdish Independence Party that wants a sovereign... uh, Kurdish nation, like pretty much all the Kurds want that, and they never got it after World War One. Just like a lot of other countries never got it. <laughs> you see how uh, when the Western power split things up, how shit doesn't really work out <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I don't know if World War Two was even involved in that. Some of it might have been. Um, you know, it's crazy when uh, when after World War One and Two they split the world. Um, well, World War One after. After World War One, when France, France and England, uh, the UK, I guess it'd probably be the correct term now, um, split the world uh, down lines. They basically drew on maps and determined where countries were, with no thought of, um, you know, self determination of the ethnic populations. They were encompassing into areas that they had, had, were not mingling before at all. Really has messed up the twentieth and late twentieth and early twenty first century. Now, can I say that it's wholly France and England's fault? No, absolutely not. Um, they were uneducated about the situation. They were th- trying to draw lines in the sand for. And, you know, it's just, it's an interesting thing when you go and look at c- countries in Europe, how there's almost no straight borders there. But you go to Africa and you go to uh, the, and you go to the Middle East, so there's a lot of straight line borders that are truly just lines drawn on a piece of paper on a map. And that's, that's where that country is and how there's some that are now dotted lines because nobody actually really knows where the border is anymore. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, the Kurds who are, who want a independent nation should get it. Um, the ones that are committing terrorism and in, in committing terrorist acts in Turkey are bad, but at the same time, you can understand because Turkey's being run by an 
by a president who is largely trying to pander to a religious uh, goal versus a political, like it's trying to make a religious political goal versus a like civil political goal. So it's a little tense. Um, kind of like bad on Trump for just like rolling over and letting it happen too. That's like really bad bullshit. <laughs> Just like, you know, Michael Moynihan, uh, it was either Michael Moynihan or Matt Welch from um, the fifth column reference that Trump's like a seat. He bears the impression of the last ass who sat on him. And it seems like this time it's like, there is really stuff like that. Also, um, just for me to throw more on him, he congratulated like China for 70 years because China had their 70th year of being under communist rule. Meanwhile, Hong Kong's protesting, and those people are trying to fight in the streets for, like, U.S.-based democratic freedom. And he's like, ah, congratulations, China, on 70 years. No, you know, what you do is you congratulate Hong Hong Kong on the successful protest and pledge assistance to them. That would be amazing. But no country, no Western country is going to do that, because China is considered too powerful. Which leads into the next story of China and Blizzard Entertainment and the nba and google um and apple and now apple is uh apple uh disabled an app um in hong kong that showed where protests were going so the protesters could assemble um outside like basically it was an app designed just for protesters that was encrypted and then they disabled the app so the chinese government asked them to so they could actually keep an eye on this it's kind of scummy um but that's as far as i'm going to go with apple but Apple's never really been the best freedom-fighting force in the world. They try to be. Now, their their personal terms of service for Western countries is is better than Google's, I'll say that, of uh, privacy control. But you wonder how long that integrity is going to last. Like they're they're doing it now, but they and they don't advertise that they're doing it, which is means that they're doing it because they actually believe they're doing a good thing. But how long? When when the bottom line suddenly is looking like, hey, if we get rid of this privacy policy. And we expose, like, you know, all this stuff to being looked at. How much better is that going to be for our bottom line? You wonder when that question's going to come up and when the integrity is going to go away. Hopefully, not quickly on Apple. I mean, I'm not an Apple fanboy, so probably not going to buy their stuff anyway, but hopefully they hold out for a little while. Be nice if it, one of the tech giants kind of holds that. But they seem to bow to China regarding Chinese things all the time. They fight it against the United States because they know they've got civil rights here that allows them to do that. But in China, it's like that's a multi-billion dollar market. They're not going to freaking step on that at all. And then you got the Blizzard thing, which uh, if you want to know, a Hearthstone player and two Shoutcraft um, Shoutcasters uh, did 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 sort of a thing about uh, fight the supporting the um, Hong Kong protests. And they both went, um, and they knew they were going to get in trouble in some way. But the, what they got in trouble too, well, was so much more than that. Plus the um, Blizzard China accounts uh, post, which has various translations, um, but mostly seeming like it was written by a political officer in either Blizzard or Ten Cent's office, because Ten Ten Cent, uh, uh, or is it NetEase? Maybe it was NetEase who's involved in the uh, Blizzard operations in China. I think it's NetEase. Maybe it's NetEase's political officer. There's been various uh, various thoughts about that. Um, the quartering had Mark Kern on and talked about it, and Sid Alpha's talked about it. I'm, you know, I, I just say it from those guys, and I'm like, well, this is really disappointing. <laughs> um, and how you see how there's a definite tonal shift difference between blizzard north america and and blizzard china how china's like oh we gotta we gotta defend the, the glorious chinese country and there's various translations that make it look like it's like major defense of it and there's ones that are more like we're not gonna put up with this like you can have your personal things but this is this is a step too far and how Blizzard then, um, if you watch, uh, recently Sid Alpha had a video he released either last night or early today about it, about how um, Blizzard really released a North American statement on Friday afternoon, which is a trick for getting away from the news cycle, because on the weekend, the news cycles are typically not as paid attention to, so people don't really read all the stuff. And then, of course, combine that with the NBA also having... Uh, getting rid of protesters who are wearing free Hong Kong and, and 
putting signs up that say free Hong Kong in, in the stadiums and, uh, and the Houston Rockets general manager, uh, I believe it was then. Yeah. Houston Rockets general manager, uh, saying that he stands with a free Hong Kong. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting dynamic where a company, and well, let me lay this out from my perspective, um, based on limited information that I have, but so this is an incomplete assessment and just where I'm going for a capitalist company such as the NBA or NFL or Blizzard Entertainment, Activision, Google, um, Apple, they're all, their goal is eventually as corporations to make sure the stock either holds value or increases value so that the shareholders continue to see profitable investment. So to do that, they're making decisions on their board and their CEOs are making decisions based on ensuring that that is achieved. Now, is that the best way to run a business? Well, it can be. It can work, but the problem is is that then you get the influence when you become a global business about how you have to take global realities into your thought process and do you willingly throw away a market because that they don't stand with the personal and political beliefs of the country that you actually operate in and you're permanently based out of. If you're an American company, you've and you have uh, office and you've got sales networks in Africa, in Europe, in most of Asia, besides from China, um, and North America and South America, you've got a lot of the world. But then you realize that China's 1.3 to 1.5 billion people. That's a that's a giant market. Remember, it's larger. It's a larger market than North America and Europe combined. How can you compete with that? And you really can't. Um, especially with shareholders continuously wanting more, 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 more. Uh, like, uh, Jim Sterling had a great uh, analog about this by uh, analogy, saying you could invent the best toaster in the world that every single person on the planet bought. And then next year, come back and the shareholders are like, so how are you going to improve that? No, no, I sold to literally 7.6 billion people. I can't sell to anyone else. Like, everybody has this. They already know. It's the perfect toaster. It's going to last for a thousand years. It's done. There's no, there, I have to make a different product that, with a different company to keep going. I can't do anything better than what I just did. And you'll never, ever, ever get to the stock value of that. And you'll see losses like that. I guess I could bring up um, how the uh, marijuana legalization hasn't really worked well in North America about how a lot of those uh, companies for Canada has seen have seen uh, monetary drops because of um, both legalities involving advertising and how restrictive it is, regulation involving locations, uh, the lack of dispensaries, and basically overhype has really damaged that. But I'll, I'll go back to where I'm going with China. So if you're blocking, if you're purposely blocking out a market because of personal values, shareholders don't give a shit about your values. They just give a shit about their bottom line. Most of them do. I don't want to say all of them because there are some shareholders that are definitely buying on moral ground, stuff like that, who who are selling off their their Blizzard stock, their Activision stock, blah, blah, blah. But is that enough to really make a big move? At least not right now, maybe in, a, in the future. But people also need to be educated and they need to realize that there are sacrifices sometimes worth being made. Like sometimes it's worth, instead of getting $100 million, it's worth getting $10 million. There are... Like maybe, maybe taking a, you know, but you see, those are personal moral judgments that only individuals can make. Companies shouldn't be making them for them. By that same stance, companies shouldn't be um, abdicating morality for va- for value, especially if most of their shareholders have the are um, are benefiting from a system that the company is trying to oppose. So if, if the shareholders live in uh, the United States and benefit from the freedom of speech, each um, freedom of the press, you know, first, second, four, and fourth amendments, why would you then have your company policy oppose those freedoms? Seems like a bad idea in the long run, unless you think that the Chinese, or the uh, Chinese, not just China, but maybe other countries and other value systems uh, that are controlled by governments. It, in autocratic regimes might pave better in the long run. Cow, like, you know, bowing to them and kowtowing to them might actually be a better monetary plan. I don't know. I'm not huge in that market in that world, so I can only say what I 
what I see from this, and it's just disappointing. And we'll see. Like, you know, BlizzCon's apparently in like a week or two, maybe three weeks or something like that. They're going to be in a they're going to be in a heap of trouble if they don't have have their story right and they start accepting this. Um, credit to the Hong Kong protesters of using uh, the Overwatch character Mei, who's a Chinese character, as turning her into the symbol of the resistance in t- in, uh, in Hong Kong. Kind of suck if Ty- if China had to ban the game that they spent all the time getting NetEase working with Blizzard for, and it's like okay, we're gonna just ban the game because our character, the character we wanted made, um, so that c- the game could be played in China, is now co-opted by the resistance in China. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, it's just, you know, sure, companies are trying to make money, but it just, it, it comes to the point of, should you be making money in a way that's damaging to the population that you're actually, that want your shareholders, the the, the main population that's buying your products? Um, but I guess if China becomes your main population, then I guess California, the government might be the only way to make money. <laughs> Just kind of sucks that way. Uh, let's see. What else? I guess I could talk about the Isra- the Israel trip I did. Yeah, let's let's go into that, and I'll talk about the other two things afterwards. Um, mostly because Astral Chain can kind of be brought up because I, I bought it for the trip going to Israel. So my parents and I went to Israel in September, and that was quite an amazing trip. So first of all, Traveler's tip, if you're from North America and you're flying into Israel, which means you're probably flying into Tel Aviv, if you think of spending a day in Tel Aviv and then going to Jerusalem, uh, probably don't because Jerusalem's about an hour from Tel Aviv and about 45 minutes from the airport if you're not there in the if you're landing in the uh, late morning. Uh, if you're not driving there during rush hour, which would be 3 p.m. and later, you probably won't have too bad of a problem getting around. So just, just go to your hotel in Jerusalem. It's probably better. Um, you don't really think about that because we we stayed in Tel Aviv for the first day, which really didn't help us. It was meant to be a relaxing day, but we could have had a relaxing day in Jerusalem as well to get over the jet lag and get climatized. Sort of, we could have done that. So, just uh, just a traveler's hint for you: do that if you ever go there. And man, it's it's an interesting company country to be in. Um, our guide was extremely good, uh, going down around Jerusalem, going to Masada, going to the Dead Sea. I uh, wish we had gone up. Uh, I wish we had gone up north to see the Golan Heights, but that's just me. Um, so much interesting history there. It's amazing comparing Canada's history, which maybe at best is eight to nine hundred years old, to a to Israel, which uh, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, which have a like history well into like eight to nine thousand years in the history in the past we're nothing compared to them and we think our history is great their history is amazing so we can't uh, so it's just amazing we also visited jordan um went to petra in jordan uh, amman wasn't really much to see um and bethlehem was disappointing um i think that's because of uh i don't know how to blame bethlehem it seems like it's just the Palestinian organization government didn't really put an emphasis on it being a tourist destination and more of a, we don't know what to do. So it doesn't really feel like it's controlled in any way. Uh, it's not anarchy, but you can tell like there's just corners being cut everywhere for some reason. It's not super great, um, but it does work. Um, we went to the church where the, where Jesus was born, which is basically above the manger and the, uh, which is actually dug into a cliff, um, like a cave system. Uh, well, that was interesting, but it's like, take it or leave it, we could have left it. Um, walking around Jerusalem, seeing the old, walking through the old city was definitely much more exciting and much, much higher education on that. Um, way more amazing. Petra was also amazing to go see in Jordan. And that's a big place. We only went to the Treasury. Now, it's called the Treasury because the Bedouins made up uh, that name and then started believing it. And then when the French came to explore it in the early 1800s, that's what the name stuck. Um, but re- really, it, it goes a long way in the past. And they're all tombs. They're all uh, tombs. At least the like the giant ones. Like the population, they built tombs in the mountains. The houses were somewhere else. Like it was a tribal population that was living there. 
and it goes back like eight to 9,000 years ago. Uh, irrigation systems were thought of, dams were thought of, like just amazing, amazing. And the same with uh, Masada about the cisterns that they built from, that uh, King Herod built in Masada, the food storage that lasted 12 to 16 years of worth of food that stayed there for a long time during the zealots' uh, defense there that held out for a while against the Roman army. Just amazing history, just amazing history. And um, slightly disappointing about how the Dead Sea is, is draining because both uh, the Jordan and the Israeli side are draining it for um, potassium, um, magnesium, and various chemicals that are in the Dead Sea. And both like both countries sort of have a solution, but they're not really working on that quickly. So of course, like it's drying up a meter every year or so. Uh, you know, sad, sad. And y- you do absolutely float on that thing. Like it's a weird sensation to float in the Dead Sea. Um, don't get your eyes. Don't don't and don't have any open wounds because it will sting. And I'm not saying that from experience. Luckily, I did not have any major. <laughs> I did not have any open injuries, so it was okay. Um, very hot when we were there. We were at the Dead Sea. It was like 34, 35 degrees Celsius, like more than it should have been. It felt closer to 40, and the sea felt like it was 25, 26 degrees. Um, It didn't feel that much colder than the air around you, so it was boiling there. Um, We stayed on the Jordan side. Uh, We actually swam the Dead Sea on the Israeli side, but we stayed in a resort at the Jordan side that was quite amazing and quite relaxing to do. yeah, Petra. Petra. Uh, Petra's a two-day thing. If you're gonna walk the whole site, you can do it in two days. Um, they've got a very nice museum at Petra uh, Interpretive Center that was built with the assistance of the Japanese, and that was actually very interesting and very very relaxing. Just free to walk through. So mom and I did that. So yeah, again, that that was trip was very good. Um, you know, there were a few things that, looking back, oh, excuse me. Yeah, still always a little bit tired. Just things been going on. Um, it was it was a worthwhile trip. It absolutely was worthwhile. Um, if you want to go yourself, that's fine. Uh, but I would recommend getting guides if you're going to do any major touring. Just it just helps. It made it feel better. Our our two guides were were pretty good. Um, can't really complain too much about that. Uh, service was excellent. Um, food was amazing. Um. The only real amazing, the only weird thing was getting, um, flying out of Toronto, uh, on a 787-800, I believe it was, which is Air Canada, no, it was a 787-900 that Air Canada had, um, how we got on, and then this one guy and his family decided to stand in the aisleway and look for one tiny little thing in their bag, and it's like, excuse me, sir, can we go out? No, 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 no. Like, for five minutes, this guy just blocked boarding because he had to look for something, and then it turns out he sat on the far side of the airplane. He was just blocking my thing, and he sat on the other side of the airplane. Dummy. (laughs) Also, I have a little beef with Air Canada because, uh, just personally... Uh, because my carry-on bag will fit in any plane post nineteen, post uh, seven fifty-seven design overhead bin. So it will fit in a seven forty-seven. It will fit in a seven eighty-seven. It will fit in a seven seventy-seven. It fits in a three twenties, a three twenty-ones, seven thirty-sevens. It fits in those airplanes. I know it does, and those are without the new cabin designs. They're coming out, but no, flying to flying there. I we had to put it in the stupid effing little. Uh, measuring thing which is based on a 757 1980s design uh overhead bin it wouldn't fit so of course we had to check the bag flying back they didn't even ask for it and i know because i flew in a 767 back to calgary and it would have fit in that i checked it there because i really didn't want to carry it on because that flight was full and of course over full a slight complaint you know, so the airline industry is the only industry that has, like, where you buy tickets for a seat, and they're the only ones that can sell more than exist. So if, you're, if you have a 150-person airplane, you're selling 168 seats. Why? You only have 150 seats. Why are you selling those other 18? Is it more profit? Because you know that, uh, theoretically, 18 people are going to miss on average. Okay, why don't you just resell the ticket then? And why do you need to resell a ticket? Why do you need to profit twice? You've already made your money. You've already made the money from the ticket sale. 
And in fact, if the person doesn't get on, the flight suddenly got a little bit cheaper because now you have less weight on the plane. But why are you reselling it again and, and double dipping? Uh, there's almost no other industry that can do that. Now, in, in various other things like rental spaces and storage spaces, yeah, there's some people could argue that they benefit from that. But do they? Because you have to have somebody out before you can use it again. And now you can have a few day turnaround time like hotel rooms, stuff like that. But you're still, I mean, when you really think about it, you are not double leasing that room. You have booked that room, and when that person leaves, you might have a day or two turnover time before you use it. If you're having a rental property, ideally, people are going to move out at the end of the rent. If they're not, that's interesting. But does that mean that if they move out on the 10th day of the month, you can't move somebody in on the 15th day? If they've already moved out, I mean, yes, that's a very quick turnaround time, but legally shouldn't you be able to do that and that's assuming that you've refunded them the difference between those months and you probably have and you definitely can so just like hey yeah my complaint about the airline industry my dad has always defended it like oh people are going to show up but then when i said yeah but you've already made the money it's not like the person who misses the flight is getting a refund if they were maybe i'd be in a different mind where if i missed a flight or i chose to go on standby i got my money completely back plus uh, credit and stuff like that. But no, no. If you have people on standby and you have a full flight and you're asking people to wait, you have 15 people on standby, you have a full flight, and you're like, well, we have to find seats for you and you may have to wait another go round. And then you ask other people, uh, can you, are you willing, who's willing to give up their seat for a, a, a voucher, like a $250 voucher? Who knows how much the flight costs? I mean, they have to give you another flight if you take the voucher. Plus, but they don't always have to, they don't have to accommodate you in Canada. They don't have to give you accommodations. They have to give you food. So why? Why extend your cost? You have to now, if you do decide to get, now you have to leave the airport because it may be, it may not be until the next day or two before you can get the other ones. Now you got to get accommodations and food for who knows how long. Why? Why? It just seems like, it just seems like an archaic way of trying to make extra money that just causes more stress to the people who are already flying. Flying isn't already stressful enough because the company's a nickel and dime you for practically everything. It's like you know you you, you don't you get like the tiny little bag of pretzels. You get the the, the drink. That's what you're free. If you want to get anything like a cheese platter, it's like eight bucks. When you know that you're buying the exact same damn cheese platter at Safeway or Sobeys is one fifty. You can tell by the packaging that there's no way in hell that thing's nine dollars. But God forbid. Oh, we have to worry about airspace. It's like. Bitch, I remember, and I don't mean this, I guess, but I fucking remember years ago when you got a free meal on airplanes. Now, granted, on transatlantic flights, you do get meals because they you're on that plane for 12 hours. If you didn't feed those people for free, you would have a riot on your hands. But it used to be considerably better all around. Also, another criticism of airline food. Why do you, why do you airline food chef companies always make it so fancy? Make it simple. Make st- simple shit. Uh, I understand the fancy stuff is like, oh, the hearkening back to the old days where it was like all oh, this high quality food that was going on airplanes. But no, go back to simple things. If I want a pancake, if I'm having breakfast and the thing is pancake or omelet, don't cover my fucking pancakes in 10 different types of sauces. Maybe I don't like strawberries. Maybe I don't like blueberries. Maybe I don't want, want this type of syrup. Maybe if you put them in little tiny packages off to the side where I could choose what I wanted. I just want my damn pancake. And by the way, don't cover them in whipped cream either. Like, let people choose. Same with the omelets. Same with the the food. It's like, you know, you just seem like questionable thing. Like, oh, let's put the beef. We're going to put it in a, in a potato-like salad for some freaking reason. And we don't tell you that it's in this stuff. We don't tell you what's in it. We ask you, what is the main thing? Do you want beef or chicken? Well, I want the chicken. What's it? And you get it. It's like, where's the chicken? Oh, here's five pieces of chicken. Here's a ton of, of like salad that I did not want. Here's a coleslaw that I'm not going to eat. Here's this like really, really, really weird cake thing that I'm not going to want. Here's a pudding. I'm like, oh, I don't care about that. And there's a bottle bottle of water and some napkins and and you know maybe occasionally a thing that almost everybody eats but there's always so much of it that gets thrown out why i will say the beef thing was actually pretty good because it had a very good rice compound in it flying back from uh from tel aviv to toronto 
Also, Toronto International, you guys need to work on getting more food on the security side versus on the open side. Uh, just something to say. Also, same with uh, can't with uh, well, no, no, no. The international section of uh, of can of the Canadian uh, of Calgary Airport is actually pretty good. As is the national section. There's a lot of good food that you can get there. A lot of food places behind there. So, yeah, just my my little criticisms to go around. Okay, so let's go into the last uh, couple, of, the last two topics, really. So um, let's go into Astral Chain. So Astral Chain is a game put on the Nintendo Switch by uh, Platinum Games. It's really fun. <laughs> Platinum Games, you get to customize your character, be male or female. Um, I I love how one of the terms for it was the anti bayonetta because it it it. It isn't all these custom moves or stuff like that. There's pretty much like only two attacks. There's a light attack and a hard attack. Um, and it's just sequencing them together. Uh, the only way to change weapons is you have a baton, uh, like a, a gladius sword, and then a, what's the other thing you have? Um, a, a gun, which are all based on one single unit. So you just change, um, you just press up and down, you change which one you want. Uh, you have at the end of the game, you have about five different. Um, oh, jeez, what are the terms for them? I can't even remember. The terms of the uh, characters are. Oh yeah, legions. Five different legions under your control. You can only have one out at a time, but it's pretty much like uh, you know, you got a sword, you got a beast, you got an axe, um, uh, you got an arm-based one, you've got an arrow-based one. Like you've got five legions. They're all pretty interesting. Um, they all have their own benefits and strength and uh, detriments to them. So one is the axe one's like really slow, but he's got a shield that really protects you. Um, sword is the starting one. Arrow is a long range attacker. Like they all are beneficial for the game. The story for the game is pretty damn good. I'm not completely done it yet, but I'm getting really close. It's an enjoyable game. I'm I'm very shocked by it. I I've saw it on the e store for many many days, and I'm like I have no idea what the hell this is. It looks cool, but I don't know if I want to play it. And then uh, finally, I just like, I'm just going to watch and read something. And I read some reviews and some guys. And I'm like, okay, fine. It's a platinum game. I'm going to take my chance. Very few of their games are bad. And this one was a really, really, really fun game. And I like the open world aspects of it and doing the investigation. It's very well done. Credit to Platinum for doing that. Um, you know, very good story. Very interesting way of doing it. Um, can't recommend that game enough. It, it, it's... <sighs> It's very good. Um, it's it's f extremely fun, and the leveling up and doing all the detective stuff that you can do, like the police work and running around, it just seems like um, I don't know. It just you know, it it was a, it's a really enjoyable game to play. So let's finish off that. Let's go into now Ace Combat Seven. So Ace Combat Seven had DLC Pack Four released on the uh, second, like uh, I believe it was the twenty fifth. Um, Yes, it was the 25th of September lost, launched DLC Pack 4, which is the first single-player mission called Unexpected Visitor. Originally called Liberation, but uh, you know, with what's going on in Hong Kong, I think they decided that's not a good idea to call it that way, and they decided to have t one name globally versus two names, because they were going to call it Unexpected Visitor in Hong Kong and Taiwan, and it was going to be liberated everywhere else. I can understand that. From That would be a little weird, but I think Liberation would have been a better name. But also, it wasn't. It did make the name didn't make sense, at least from the gameplay perspective. It wasn't really a liberating uh, level. So, unexpected visitor actually seemed better of a game, uh, of a game name. So the level is pretty intense. Um, a lot of fighting, uh, cool stuff. Harkening uh, back to Ace Combat Five and Four, the, some of the characters are referencing. So it's quite a fun game. Uh, the storyline won't be completed until the end of November with the sixth DLC pack, and hopefully more aircraft come out because now they've got the uh, the E8 EA18 uh, Growler now flying in the game, which is basically an F18 uh, but with an electronic warfare suite. So they now have ECM back in the game, which is really cool. Um, like it, it was a fun mission, very fun mission. I can't wait to see more about that. Uh, okay, so. Coming up near the end, uh, what else should I really, really quickly discuss? Hmm. Well, uh, I guess, you know, I had my birthday in August and didn't really talk about that. It was uh, after the last episode. Really fun time with a bunch of my friends came over. We had a nice photo shoot, played some games. Um, 
Oh yeah, played a what was it uh, called? Uh, Star Realms. That's re- really really fun. Played some Flux. Um, had a good time with those guys. Hopefully we're gonna have another go next week, and uh, hopefully, and we might do a little bit this week. Who knows? Who knows? Hopefully some stuff come up, and then watching football. Finally back in the swing of things, especially not watching two uh, two Sunday night two Sundays in um, Israel. So I, it's my okay. So let's go. Let's actually go into that. Um, I pay for DAZN, um, and I wish that DAZN wouldn't be geo locked. Why do these services geolock in a hard way? Like I understand from Netflix, um, they have to reach and lock because of copyright. But uh, I mean, at least when you think about this, theoretically, no, there's ways to exploit this. But I don't think that's a problem um, in the long run. Or I think like it just needs the legal system for all these copyrights needs to be really, really, really well rewritten to allow um, easy transfer of order. But because of agreements with various uh, national entities and various broadcasting entities via NFL and other media sources, like I can't watch the zone on like anything, but like I think ExpressVPN might be the only one guys who uh, who are able to VPN to zone, and even then, apparently their stuff might be going down soon. Like why? So if I'm a Canadian citizen and I want to watch the zone, and but I'm outside of Canada, I'm fucked. I'm paying 150 bucks a year for your fucking service. I should be able to access it anywhere in the world. Now, your argument is going to say, say, well, but anyone can get a Canadian address to pay with, like with fake credit cards, stuff like that, like with privacy.com or the Canadian equivalent or something like that. They could fake do that. It's like, I don't give a shit. Now, that may suck because you are paying a percentage of your payout to the NFL, and the NFL may hate that uh, American people might buy Canadian disown, because it's cheaper for, for the deal because NFL has their own thing, which is like 300 bucks or something like that a year. Now, I understand that. I understand that from the economic decision of the original copyright holder not liking it. But as soon as – but if they have given the copyright choice to another company in, that, in a different country and you are a citizen of that country and you want to enjoy it, but you go over – you go away because you're on vacation – it seems like the, like the decentralized idea of the internet is completely defeated by that purpose. Now, Reason Magazine is talking about how decentralized internet is returning and how it's going to be a bigger thing more now than ever. And I think this geolocking thing is just... It's why piracy is going up, why all these services are popping up and why piracy is going on, why Netflix can only have so many shows in Canada versus the US because of distribution networks. It's like... And these distribution companies, you're seeing that, that some of them are, are purely owned by interests that have no interest at all in distributing uh, fairly to the people. They just want to make maximum profit. Which is interesting for me, being a capitalist, that I'm completely for making maximum profit. But I'm also so saying if you can't get it legally, then it's not illegal for me to find it other ways. If I can't buy a CD, if I can't get a, a soundtrack of music in Canada because nobody's distributing in Canada, then me torrenting it is, should not be considered piracy because there is no legal way for me to access it. Now, somebody would say, oh, there's the used market. No, I want an original copy because the used CD I could buy might be in terrible condition. I might only get one song out of the 50 that are on that fucking soundtrack I want. Just, just another rant to end my day. So um, that was it. Uh, you know, I'm still maybe one step away from being a vegetable, <laughs> uh, but it was fun to get back in the swing of things. And I p- plan to do more of this every Saturday. So far, it looks like um, going forward, my Saturdays are going to be free. And I'm going to, um, besides from like one Saturday a month, but I, that's still going to be a later Saturday. I'm going to try to do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my business plans and stuff like that are, are kind of like I'm starting to learn and experience some things so hopefully um i get to where i want to go by the start of next year i can start figuring out what path i'm going to take with my things and um just basically orienting myself in the right way to get this done and maybe maybe uh, do some other things to do that but otherwise uh, thanks for listening this was stories from the christmas drawer recorded october 12th 2019 season 2 episode 11 if i'm correct i hope i am i'm if I'm not, I'm still leaving this in, but I'll just correct it on the fucking Podbeam page. Oh, man. I I don't keep up with these things that well. I need to start making a list of the episode names and how many episodes I'm in just to check mark them all off. But, you know, things you'll learn along the way. <laughs> Season 3 will start January... 
Um, we'll start jan- in January, officially. January 2020, w- or 2020, 2020, yep, 2020. I got to get that through my head, not 2020, 2020. January 2020 will be the start of season three of Stories of the Christopher Drawer, and hopefully with more content, more unique stuff going on, more professional plans. Um, oh, yeah, I guess I should bring that. Uh, I was planning to buy this Roland um, HDMI switch. Uh, switcher so it's kind of like if i want uh s- two video capture systems going on and two cameras i was planning to buy this unit so i could have four feeds going into one device when i could choose what i wanted to see eventually do picture in picture with two of them now that's that was going to be about a thousand two hundred canadian dollars to a thousand three hundred canadian dollars depending on who i was buying from and shipping and i'd heard it was pretty good but it, it made about 40 to 45 decibels of audible noise now would that be noticeable on this microphone? I don't know. I do have a fridge downstairs in my basement, and I don't know if that's audible enough or what level that's at. I haven't measured that in my own personal thing. I should probably do that. But it was kind of that kind of put me off. Plus the investment of a thousand plus on a product where I would feel like I wouldn't be fully utilizing it yet until I had friends going coming over to games. We could have two cameras on the guys gaming and one on the TV and one on maybe something else like doing, you know, maybe getting two or three cameras active plus the TV and doing picture with picture, trading them off and stuff like that. And then putting it into a capture card system for my PC to do that and encode it and do all that or stream or just broadcast it in some way, shape or form. So that $1,000 plus the streaming equipment that I would have needed to buy, which mostly would have been um, just a capture card because my um, LiveTrack L12 made by Zoom will become an audio interface and will run at 96 hertz uh, in waveform at that point, um, 96, wave 96 or whatever it is. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. Like I have most of the equipment, but it was just like that 1,000 plus, it almost, it was probably going to be close to 1,500 Canadian dollars to do that, maybe even closer to 1,006. Now, I have access to the cameras, I have access to the cabling, so that's not too hard to do. But it was kind of like, oh, man. Anyway, at the end of September, Blackmagic Design says that they're coming out with a similar unit that will cost 300 American dollars. A literal, like, you know, jeez, a quarter of the price. A quarter of to a third of the price Canadian. Like when you come to Canadian, it's probably going to be about four hundred bucks. So it's going to be a quarter of the Canadian price, a third of the Canadian price of that Roland unit. That's amazing. Credit to Black Magic. Like I hope the reviews come out and that thing's great because I plan to buy that. And that'll be when video content starts coming out. <laughs> uh yeah. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's about it. So yeah, have yourself a good weekend. It is Canadian Thanksgiving. So if you're in Canada, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you're in America, that's in November, and I'll definitely have more podcasts out before then. All right. Bye.